sit and join the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Good evening. Happy Sunday. Happy Saturday. Drink in the Style is brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. Ah, Minneapolis's finest interior design showroom for commercial and residential interiors. I'm your host, Gregory Rich, and I'm going to help you kill your evening with some booze and conversation. Tonight, we are branching out a bit. We're joined by Alex Boylan from Edina Realty. Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Uh, you know what? I think you're going to have fun. In fact, I'm sure you're going to have fun because we're drinking tequila tonight. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of a lot of different things. We're going to we're going to hit on uh, maximizing your home's value and the importance of uh, aesthetics in selling your home or buying a home, how that affects it. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to create some new ground and uh, you're a great guy to do it. So thank you for being on the program. No, I'm looking forward to it. Ah, tequila. Dan Newkirk. Our resident cocktailist from Mercy, Mill Valley Kitchen, Benedict, both in Wyzetta and Rochester, Minnesota. How are you, brother? Uh, feeling good, feeling fine, considering we started off with an oaked scenario today. We did. We did an oak. Listeners of the show may remember that courtesy of Brian Oak, our uh, two-time guest on the program, the only man who ever did two shots with us or asked for a second after we gave him a warm-up <laughs> shot. If we have two shots, it's an oak. And you know what? We're proud of that. Hell yeah. Yeah. I am. Good for you. All right. Um, so, Dan, what are we making? You got something clever up your sleeve. So today we got a uh, house barrel uh, that's exclusive to um, us at Mill Valley Kitchen and Mercy. They put our name on the bottle. It's fancy. I got to pick it out personally. Uh, it's a 30-month añejo. Um, añejo means vintage uh, in Spanish, so it's very appropriate that we're drinking a tequila of a specific vintage. Wow. Interesting. I didn't know that. So we're doing a, a – So riff. wait. Wait. So the term would be – Una señora de Añejo. My response would be, ¿qué? I have no idea. I don't, I don't speak it in Spanish, but it's fine. Uh, so we're going to be doing a uh, riff on a black Manhattan. Um, so we can call it a Jalisco black or whatever you want to call it. But it's going to be uh, two ounces of the spirit, one ounce of Averna, which is an Amaro, which both has a bitter and sweet aftertaste. Uh, dash fire, dash fire um, grapefruit bitters, some saline solution. We're going to finish it off with some vanilla tincture and uh, orange expression. So you got a lot of sub-flavors. you got a lot of subtlety to this drink. All, th- all things that play well in the sandbox together, though. Yeah, but, I mean, Amaro and tequila, that's an unusual combination. Well, sometimes you got to get weird. I like it. I like it. All right. So let's, uh, let's get started on this. Mr. Johnson, our mixing music, if you would. All right. Uh, Mr. Newkirk is adding rocks to his Yari. He has added, uh, let's see, the tequila and uh, Amaro. Did you have the tequila and Amaro before the ice? Do you care? You just were adding it Everything. Everything's going to get mixed. All right. And the reason why I'm stirring it is that I don't want to take away from the, the beauty. I don't want to aerate uh, beautiful aged spirits. Rather than taking it and putting it in a shaker is what right. I'm saying. Right. Would it change flavor particularly? Yeah, or, it would. Really? Yeah, oxidation is not what you want to do to your booze most times. Interesting, and yet it's so much fun to shake something. The only time you really want to shake is if it has citrus. The yeah. citrus needs to get beat up a little bit. And if you've got like egg whites or something like that to create yeah, some kind of emulsification. Yeah. Alex, are you a, a stir or shaken guy in general? I mean, at home, a lot of stirring, a lot of brown liquor, a lot mm-hmm. of stirring. Okay, yeah, no, that's the right way to go. Okay. Yeah, but you just love that stirring, that shaking sound, and shaking's kind of fun. I mean, you get just the row going, but. Mm-hmm. It's got an elegance to it. 
It does. It does. And you're doing a lot of revolutions on this. You're up to like 50. Because there's four cocktails in here. Ah, okay. So extra dilution is necessary. Once again, for listeners who uh, uh, are fans of the drinking arts, the more you stir, the more you are cooking your cocktail, i.e. adding water to it. How's it taste? Delightful. Awesome. All right, you've got that. Now, have you added? Uh, have you already added the bitters? Everything is already in there. Sure did. All right, and we're pouring it out. Wow, dude, that is that is an interesting color. That is. Oh, why do you think the word black is in the name? Yeah, it's a beautiful looking cocktail. It is. Yeah, we're not done yet. We're going to give some uh, some nose, some personality, a little je ne sais quoi. Ah, quality, mm, classy. Yeah, that's uh, this is this maybe goes into the book. We were at the uh, the AM 950 Blue State Ball uh, over the weekend. Fantastic event that was held down at uh, Brett. Where was it? At the uh, Bauhaus. Uh, yeah, Bauhaus Brew Labs. Bauhaus Brew Labs, and uh, we had a bunch of drinking the style cocktail compendiums on sale. And we actually sold. All but one. You went to the bar house and you didn't bring me? You know what? I asked for tickets for you, but uh, Chad wouldn't give them to me. What a dick. I could have made a phone call. <laughs> it was a sold-out event. <laughs> I, I thought about bringing call. you instead of uh, Christina, but uh, yeah, no. White wife, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you don't want to deal with that one. <laughs> so you're putting this into a coupe glass, and uh, you are garnishing with an expressed orange peel. And the uh, Madagascar vanilla beans come from my friend Blue Jay Ballard and his company, uh, Sugar Mama Spice Company. Oh, yes. We've uh, featured their stuff in the past, have we not? We have. Oh, wow. That smells good. That looks good. Um, aren't you going to ask me about the coupe glass? <laughs> I mean, we already know it's Marianne's when it's pressed. Did you know that, Alex? Now I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can dazzle people with that level of trivia. The coupe glass was modeled after Marie Antoinette's breast. And I believe it took like, what, 16, 17 sittings for him to get it perfectly balanced? Yeah. I mean, practice <laughs> makes perfect, right? <laughs> Your Highness, once again, I must come in and work on this. All right. We're going to give this a little try. Have you got the uh, sipping music? Sipping or? music available. All right. Uh, hold on. That's embarrassing. That was the mixing music. That was too soon. I didn't get to sip it yet. Try it again. Well, we'll do it again. Bam. Yes. Yes. One or six, Craig. Six. 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 six nice. Oh, I can, that is good. Thank you. We can drink those all night long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The salinity really kind of helps the uh, – if it wasn't for the salt, the tequila would get buried by the by the Averna because it's kind of a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, but the salt kind of just kicks it in higher, high gear. Man, what are you reading in this, Alex? What's uh, the flavor jumping out to you? The vanilla. Yeah, I actually agree. The, no, the, the, vanilla, no, the though, nose kind of subtly, subtly makes everything work. Yeah. Yeah, the, and the vanilla and the orange, great mm-hmm. combination. For sure. Once again. Mm. Oh, this is, yeah, no, this is. That's dangerous. A black tequila Manhattan. So we'll call it Jalisco Black. Jalisco Black. Jalisco Black. Got a flow to it. Black Jalisco just sounds kind of weird. No. Yeah, yeah, Jalisco Black. Yeah. I like it. All right. No, this is a good one, guys. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, if you are out there and are interested in trying just a handful of our cocktails, this is one that should be there. We should asterisk this one for the 2020 compendium because this is really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it's our house barrel. So, uh, sweet. We just have to think about it before the end of the year because I'll be, once it's out, it's out. Oh, well. So we got to get a picture of it at some point. In that case, never mind. You guys will never have it. But we're enjoying it a tremendous amount unless you spring to action and you go to Mercy Mill Valley. Uh, or Benedict's and ask for this. ASAB? Yeah. All right. Alex, this is the part where you actually get to talk for the next, I'm going to say, 13 seconds. Perfect. Right? Um, our totally not random question at the moment. Uh, here it is. Homes, houses, which term do you prefer? Rambler or ranch? 
Rambler. Is it Rambler? Well, I think ranch. I think horses, 140 acres, cowboys. I know. I, I do too. I do too. I'm torn on it. I mean, it's kind of regional. A yep. Rambler or a ranch is just a general term for what? A one bedroom or one floor house. Exactly. Dan, you got something quick? Do you Rambler or ranch? I'm a rambling man, so you know where I'm at. Oh, there you go. See, to me, Rambler sounds like it's the house where you put around in your in your bathrobe and slip on yeah. slippers, muttering quietly to yourself. What's wrong with that? Nothing. It's my future, <laughs> and that worries me. <laughs> All right. Sooner than you think. <laughs> it's been great having you on the show, Alex. No, All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to be talking about real estate. Stick with us. The conversation with the flying plates. I got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me. I got no car, got no mule, I got no misery. Welcome back to Drinking the Style. Normally, we're talking about aesthetics, but tonight, we're talking about real estate. We'll touch on aesthetics, of course, but you are a realtor. I'm your host, Gregory Rich, and my guest is Alex Boylan from Edina Realty. All right, Alex. Yes. Get into it. Give us the uh, the thirty thousand foot view. What is the state of the residential real estate market today? Well, perfect timing. Spring market. Things are li- well. They're getting insane. We're ramping up. Spring is the big time of year, right? Yep. Why is that? Why does everybody sell their house in spring? Because it came out of a long, cold winter. Nobody wants to move when it's cold outside. Come on, man. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, do, do you think that's it? I mean, it seems like it's such a huge, momentous decision, and yet everybody seems to be ready at the spring point. It's emotional. This came out of the holidays, the cold, the busyness, and now all of a sudden, feeling a little warmer out. The days are getting a little longer. We Minnesotans, it's 35 degrees, put on shorts, and we're running around the lake. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like yesterday. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's just, it's emotion. Everyone's like, oh, they're feeling better. The days are getting longer. Everyone feels really good, and they want to go buy a house. It's the psychology. It's the it's psychology, psychology real of real estate. Exactly. I know. I know. It just – it baffles me overall because – I mean, well, all right. Let me ask you this. When do you think – so let's say so, – so spring is the hot time in the market. Yep. And it makes sense to go on especially in the hot time in the market because everybody is ready. The seller, the buyers are all now also itching for oh, yeah. something. When do you think people make the decision that they're going to move? Do you think that's – The smart ones mm-hmm. make a decision in December. OK. Call the realtor. They're planning and plan for spring market. Okay. The so, ones who are just like, oh my God, look at the market's crazy, call you tomorrow and want to be on the market two days later. I want to close in 15 days. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. happen. It doesn't work like that. Now, you have a, a guaranteed sale program, do you not? <laughs> I mean, first, if you work with me, it's going to be a guaranteed sale in three days' time. Yeah. There is no guaranteed sale. If anyone's guaranteeing no. a Unless, sale, of you they are, they are willing to screw you in yep, order exactly. to make sure that they live up to that. Pretty much. I'm not calling anybody out in bus, by name. The bus train guy. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. That's, that's the one. I don't know him personally, but seriously. Suddenly everyone's arms are extended right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Go> by now. <laughs> no, it's true. You can't guarantee outcome on anything. If you're guaranteeing outcome on anything, it's either completely rigged or somebody's getting screwed somewhere. Death and taxes. Someone's, getting, someone's getting screwed. Yeah, that's reality. Yeah, but but uh, but yeah, but but regardless of who you're working with or whatever, spring is is the time that yep. uh, the things come by. I mean, what percentage of houses do you think honestly sell like? And and well, all right, how, what's the what's the length of time? Mm-hmm. 
that is reasonable. You put your house on the market. Average time on the market before an offer is accepted is what? And average time after that is what? So it depends on price point. Okay. You know, obviously there's bigger buyer pools for lower price homes. So mm-hmm. anything under 400000 selling in three days, multiple offers on average. Really? And close in, well, most smart buyers tell the sellers you can pick the closing date. So it could be 15, it could be 30 days, it could be 60. You okay. never know. As the prices get up, sometimes the, price, the market time gets a little longer. Mm-hmm. Closing time still about 45 days. Okay. So, but seriously, houses under 400K are selling like three, four days? Yeah, we, like I put a house on the market on Thursday night, start showings on Friday, accept all multiple offers by Sunday, sold by Monday. Wow. Let the bidding war ensue. Hey, exactly. Let the bidding war ensue. All right. That's, you've opened the door on that. Let's talk about bidding wars. Sure. All right. Tell me everything that I need to know about bidding wars on residential real estate. So if you are buying a house and you're in a bidding war, you have to have a very strong offer. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's going to go over asking. So how high are you willing to offer over asking? Mm-hmm. If you want to get really risky and little, little roll the dice, do the escalation clause, which is, hey, sellers, your $400,000 house, I'll give you 1000 bucks over your highest offer up to 450000 Oh, that's interesting. You can do that. Oh, of course. Interesting. Escalation clause. So whatever it is. So so what about when realtors come out and they say, it's time for best and final. Give us best and final, which drives Well, your best and final is 1000 over the highest of the 400 or whatever price point above asking. That's so no matter what final. it is, up to 450 right. And you can be pretty sure that then any realtor is going to ensure that you're paying pretty damn close to 450 Well, they have to present the offer, their highest offer to you. So – it's legitimate. They're not lying to you. Hey, hey Mike, I'm going to need you to call and make an offer because I'm trying to take this up to 450 please. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'll send the fake offer rolls across the table. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Juan Valdez really was offering $449,000? <laughs> God, I hope not. So what so, – so again, all right. So wow. Is that a new thing? I'd never heard of that. No, we've been doing it for a few years. OK. It helps. Can, can the real estate person uh, not offer that? Like it's, it's up to your discretion, correct? I mean so – like if I'm representing the buyers and I kind of looked at my clients saying, okay, how high are you willing to go? Mm-hmm. And you knew the escalation clause based upon that. Right. But I mean at, at end game, like you are the one that makes the final decision if you accept the, the clause. Oh, if I'm representing the sellers. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. between myself and the sellers will kind of decide which is the offer we want to go with. Right. You know, and it comes down to what's the closing date. And smart buyers will tell the sellers, hey, you pick the closing date. Mm-hmm. So then the sellers all of a sudden have flexibility. Key. How con- Is that becoming more more common? Yep. So – of course, the seller, the buyer, is probably coming off a sale themselves in many cases, unless or it's a starter home. they're renting or mom and dad's or relocating here. But there's probably some kind of a deadline. But on the other hand, everyone has the same level of urgency. Yeah. So it's a calculated risk. Yeah, you could always tell the sellers, hey, how about honor before 120 days from now? Because, again, within 120 days, they need to move out because they have a, a lease somewhere. Okay. So you can you know break it down and structure it somewhat but still give – Give the seller flexibility. Okay, to be creative. That's interesting. I again, I never, I had never heard of that. That makes all the sense in the world. But mm-hmm. I had a house once, our, our first house in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and uh, I did it as a for sale by owner. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. Oh God, I know it's a big mistake. I cost myself a lot of money. I really did. <laughs> I believe it. At the time, I was a headhunter, and as a headhunter, uh, you know, if if I've got a candidate and he's offered. You know, seventy-five thousand dollars at General Mills, mm-hmm. and 3M is also interested. Mm-hmm. 
you tell General Mills or you tell 3M that he was offered $75,000 here, can you do any better? Okay. Whereas in real estate, you guys do not give that previous figure necessarily, right? You wouldn't say, I've got an offer of $145,000, can you do better? You can, but we rarely – we we don't. Right. Because in my case, I did. That's exactly what I did. I think I was selling this house and this is back in like, I don't know, 2001 or something mm-hmm. like that or 1998, you know, and the buggies were all in front of the thing. And uh, <laughs> and he said unto me, I shall offer you seven <laughs> sheep and six and six goats. And the other guy said, I'll give you seven sheep, six goats and a haggis. And I wound up taking just a tiny bit more because I – didn't know how to negotiate in this particular mm-hmm. space, um, which was a huge, huge mistake. So in some cases you do, but generally speaking, you don't. Don't. Okay. Yep. Another, again, experience. I've always said experience is like having the ability to look into the future. Knowing what's happened in the past lets you understand what can happen in the future. And if you don't have experience, it's always a crapshoot. Yeah, pretty much. Right? Yeah. Um, what, so, all right. So you've got that option. What other things are, oh, wait, actually, we're going to be running out of time. I want to ask you what other options in a seller's market? Personal can, letter. What does that mean? Write the letter, write a personal letter to the seller of why you love their house. And key thing, take a picture of you on the front stoop of their house and put it on that letter. Wow. Yeah. Mind blown on that. Hit their emotions hard, pulling the heartstrings. Yeah. We're going to have a great segment three, folks, because if you like that one, that was the best teaser of all time. It's a good one. Seriously. All right. Drinking the style. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Alex Boylan from Medina Realty. How to face another day. Holding hands at midnight neath the starry sky. Nice work if you can get it. And you can get it if you try Strolling with a one girl Sigh and sigh Welcome back sigh. to Drinking the Style. Saturdays at 7, Sundays at 5 on AM 950 here in Minneapolis, Minnesota and available anytime as a stream or podcast. Hey, if you are a podcast listener, if you're an iTunes listener, because apparently only iTunes matters in the uh, podcast world, right, Brett? Pretty much, unfortunately. I know. It's the only rating that matters. But if you are an iTunes listener, dudes, go out and give us a five-star rating, please, because it does push you up on the uh, the whole presentation thing. And four stars is like calling your baby ugly. Just don't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you. All right. Tonight's musical notes. Before we get back to, uh, to, uh, to Alex from Edina Realty, uh, I want to talk about we've been listening to A Swingin' Affair, the second of four albums released by Frank Sinatra in 1957. The fourth, by the way, was uh, A Jolly Christmas with Frank Sinatra, uh, which is an absolutely fantastic uh, Christmas album. We will not be listening to it in order because I will not abide Christmas albums being played out of season, but maybe at the end of the year we'll go back to it. Um, this is uh, an absolute masterpiece, you guys. The album includes a blend of melodies and uh, love songs uh, that are both up and down. It's some of Sinatra's greatest works uh, on this album. It includes uh, Lady is a Tramp and Nice Work If You Can Get It, I Got It Bad, and like almost a dozen others. Uh, therefore, on the Gregory Rich album acquisition scale, or if you will, grass, 
Gregory Rich album acquisition scale. I respect grass. Ah, there we go. Yeah. I like grass. Thank you. I do too. On the grass scale, I'm giving this recording an, quote, absolutely must-have rating. This is one of Sinatra's finest, and if you're going to own maybe five albums, this absolutely positively has to be in the overall collection. Alex, are you an, uh, a Sinatra fan? You got to love him. You love the music. You're absolutely right. I asked this question of guests, and the first one who says no, they have to leave They're immediately. Gone. And it's just going to be me talking about Frank Sinatra's albums afterwards. Which is fine. Right? Which is fine. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, this is uh, seriously a really good one. Uh, Swingin' Affair, uh, folks, go and pick it up uh, on you know download. It's 15 tracks. I think originally it was like eight, but then they added a few, uh, and it is well worth it. All right, back to real estate. You opened a great door on the psychology of mm-hmm. selling and psychology of buying, I suppose. A lot of it. What What's your philosophy in general on real estate? Do you have like an umbrella concept? I mean, it's different for every individual. So <clears throat> a good real, realtor is going to look at their client. I shouldn't look, should more listen to her client and figure out who they are, what they're looking for and and provide the services based upon just that person, that individual and kind of what they want out of it. So you have to be chameleon in real estate. You got to bend yourself to who your client is and what they're looking, what they want. Makes sense, yeah. and because your objective is to help them get what it is that exactly that they're seeking overall. And this is the biggest and most important decision that most people will make, or at mm-hmm. least in the top, let's say three of of their lifetimes. And there's got to be a huge amount of emotion involved. So you've got to speak to that primarily, correct? Yes. I mean, you still have to have a business sense and do what's right for them in the end, but at the same time, listen to kind of their needs and their wants and try to give them, give them that. Yeah, which makes sense. So when you, when you meet a client, mm-hmm. all right, yeah. all right. <laughs> totally going to put you on the spot. Do, here, it, baby. do, do it. you mind? Do it. Bring all right. it. All right. All right. So you sit down with a client for the first time. Are they a buyer or are they a seller? They are buyers. Okay. All right. Because a seller, you know, you have a set commodity. Yep. You have to figure out how to sell that. Yep. A buyer could be the entire world. It is. Right? Yep. So what are the key things that you have to identify in this buyer's personality for you to to help them be happy? Because that's what you're doing is yeah. you want them to be happy with what they're doing. Well, I mean, to make it simple, the first time you meet with them, it's just it's questions and answers. You mm-hmm. know, get me started. Mm-hmm. But when you – the best time to learn about a buyer, mm-hmm. get to a house – Walk a house with a person and you'll learn everything you need to know because what they tell you at a coffee shop is not the same what they're telling you when they're at a house walking around looking at it and what they like, what they don't like. Oh, you still have wallpaper. Exactly. (laughs) Wallpaper actually is coming back, but yes. So you learn a lot. You have to get people in the car for the first time, go see six, seven houses. You'll You'll learn everything you need to know about that buyer if you're paying attention. So the buyer himself, let's let's flip it over. Sure. Knowing what you know. So the buyer is in there. What is it that they should be conveying to you? What is it that you need to know to help them understand? I tell my clients, walk the house, talk to each other about what each other likes, what you don't like, and just talk to each other. If it's a couple, have a conversation amongst each other. I'm just listening. Mm-hmm. If it's one person, tell me what you like. Tell me what you dislike. Tell me what you're feeling. And then I just kind of listen and take it all in and then based upon – all the different conversations we've had about every house, I kind of go, okay, so this is what you're really telling me. So everything you told me at the coffee shop is wrong. What you really want is this. <laughs> True. Because they don't know. I mean, no. in the coffee shop, it's theoretical. Right. In the house, it's real. Correct. And you can take a look at it. Because you're at the moment. So as my advice to people listening right now, uh, both of you two are happily married men because 
You like to listen. Yes. You're listeners. You're good listeners. You have to be. If I'm married for this long. <laughs> or at least we just know to keep our mouths shut. <laughs> or, exactly. You know, that's listening, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. yeah. Now, listening is a key skill in absolutely everything because people will tell you the answer to every question you have yep. if you sit and you wait for it. Yep. Stop and talking you ask and the listen. right questions. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, no question. So, so somebody comes – wait. I, I just got to generally ask. Because, Go ahead. <laughs> I mean do you cringe when somebody comes in and complains about like the color of the walls or the carpet or something that is so easily changed? I hear so much. I just say, guys, seriously, pick up a paintbrush, change the color. I don't like the carpet. I got a flooring guy. He's great. Yeah. I mean it's one of those things. You can't not make – if you're shopping for a house, the comment. You know, you come in and, you know, and it's a terrible color. You're – Gonna remark on it, I guess, because you're looking for an easy thing to say. Right, everyone does. But in fact, it's got to be the most irritating thing. <laughs> I just say it's an easy change, right? And then I get creative with what they can do to the house. Here's what it'll cost you, and here's what I would do, and that's where I have fun. Mm-hmm. It's like to be creative, and they go, "Wow, I never thought about that." Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. No, it's a good point. Like I said, experience. Yep. You know how to. You know what's happened in the past. Therefore, you have the ability to tell within reason what's going to happen in the future. Exactly. Be changed. So tied onto that, my question to you is: yeah. So we had a, a guest Adam McIntyre on about six months ago, Quality and guy. one of the things he specializes in is like the 360 virtual tour. Yep, um, and it's really big on the commercial side of it. But like, how do you feel about that versus person to person interaction doing a walkthrough? So I'm getting ready to put a house on the market to mid century modern. This thing is a gem, built, has been touched. Everything's natural and real, and. It's been since day one. It's beautiful condition. It's sexy. And I'm doing a 360 tour on it. So you can be on your phone in the East Coast, West Coast. That's where you're coming from. And you can walk that house from your phone. Mm-hmm. And I think they're great for people who are not here. It yes. gets them to see the house. So you're in favor? I am in favor, nice. yeah. Do, do, you, do you have a main guy? Uh, yeah, I do spacecrafting. Okay. I'm just saying we, we know a guy. Spacecrafting is uh, is a great company. They do really well. I mean, quite honestly, it's it's not all that complicated. They are expensive. They're very expensive, but you know what? They're worth it. You get what you pay for. <laughs> In most cases, <laughs> In most you're cases. worth it. Most cases, <laughs> they're worth it. They're worth it. What other aspects of psychology when you're dealing with someone who's shopping for a house is is going to come into play? I mean, do you do you sense that this person is going to be just averse to tutors or colonials or or things like that? Or is it all just a matter of you listen to their first impression and you take that as a first impression and then you start taking them to houses and then you start to distill? That's what exactly add. what we do. It is. What, what I do actually. Which makes – again, yeah. because it's a journey. How many houses does an average realtor sell in a, in a year? Oh my god! I don't even know the answer to that question. I know I what I sell, but I know what you sell. If you want to, oh, hear, I don't know what you sell. I hear it's like six to eight houses, I guess, really? on average. Because there's a lot of people who do it part time, mm-hmm. so it kind of skews all the numbers. But the full timers like myself who work it, it's all we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably selling thirty five to forty homes. Mm-hmm. Myself, I'm selling more, mm-hmm. but I work twenty four seven. Yeah. Well, that is the problem. I think we talked – my dad was in real estate for 20 years uh, back in Buffalo, New York and uh, it's true. I mean the, the hardest thing about the job is that the time that everyone else is free is when you're working. Right. And that is a difficult life. Mm-hmm. So why do you like it? Why, are you, why have you stayed in it? I just like helping people. It's fun. I mean go and look at houses and help them design and be creative and the negotiations and just the prep work. All of it to me is exciting. And, and as much as I don't want to quote uh, number 45, 
1980 edition of The Art of the Deal, there, there is some excitement in The Art of the Deal. Oh, there is. Yeah. So, I mean, there's more mm-hmm. to it than just like, you know, I like helping people, but like there's kind of a rush in the sales game. Oh, there really is. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just your junk gets going and yeah. you have to be creative and you have to think outside the box and sometimes think quickly, sometimes you don't need to, you can just be creative. Mm-hmm. It's fun. So how can – that's actually – that's an interesting question because, you know, I've got a long history in real estate transactions, commercial and residential, mm-hmm. and I've not found most real estate professionals to be that creative. How can you tell if you're dealing with uh, a broker who is somebody who is thinking about more than just – if you've got a transaction from A to Z, thinking about more than just A to B and then they'll deal with it? Um, a lot of them are thinking about the paycheck, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I guess the best thing to do is go to people who have used different brokers and realtors and say, hey, how was your interaction? Mm-hmm. I get a lot of referrals and people said, hey – I talked to three or four different my friends, and they all had nothing good to say about their realtor until I heard about you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you have to ask enough people and to find the right one who's really going to work hard for you. And is there a uh, is there a realtors association that that sellers and buyers can interact with? It's really it's kind of the wild west, it's right? It's Kind of the wild west. I mean, we're we have rules and regulations, and we have an association for that. But reality, it's a wild west. Mm-hmm. You know, and nothing bad. Unfortunately, until unfortunately, NRA was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Very true. No, it's true. It's really hard. Uh, You can because until such time as a purchase agreement is signed, there are almost no laws in this business, right? So you have to – We have rules and regulations with the follow and things like that. But overall, I mean when it comes down to the realtor, we're all individuals. We're all independent contractors. Mm -hmm. So we're all going to run our businesses differently. Mm -hmm. How we treat clients. Very true. You better know what you're getting into. What about the benefit of working with, say, an Adina Realty versus, you know, like an independent or really small outfit? Is there is there advantage there? Yeah, because you know what, Adina Realty has programs to help. Really, they invest in their their agents to make sure they have the education to represent their clients to the hundred percent ability they can, and they have people who are there to help them also. So the newbies, we have people like me who step in and give them guidance. Mm-hmm. We have attorneys on staff to help them when they screw up or someone else makes your life difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, we have telecompany and mortgage people to step in and give advice and make sure that we're going to take it all the way to the closing table. So you're getting full service. Mm-hmm. Which, which, which makes sense. It's an interesting thing. So you mentioned the newbies overall. So there always seems to be kind of a, a master apprentice program in real estate. You have to. Why? There's a lot to know. And you're dealing with contracts. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with people's lives and lots and lots of money. If you know what you're doing, what you're doing, it could cost someone fifteen thousand dollars like that. Well, the state law also requires you to work two years for somebody else before you can even go off on your own. Correct? Doesn't? I thought. Okay, so high school diploma, go get your license, and go sell a house. But you can't. You can't sell independently unless you work two years under. Oh yes, if you want to be a broker. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 You're right. If I'm be a broker, and broker is like Edan Realty is a broker. Mm-hmm. I'm just a realtor. I work for Edan Realty. But if I want to be a broker, I have to have two years' experience, which I do. Oh, interesting. The nuance. God, this is such an educational show. It's a little-known fact that actually AM950 gets public uh, uh, service credit for this, right? Oh, that we do. Yeah, yeah. The public good. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking more real estate. Stick with us. Never mind. She gets too hungry. For dinner at eight She likes the theater And never comes late She never bothers 
with people she'd hate. Oh, his voice was at its peak That's in 1957. He really, really nailed it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drink in the Style on AM 950 Radio and everywhere else. We've been speaking with Alex Boylan from Edina Realty. Alex, which office are you out of? So I'm at the Edina Realty over um, off of uh, – it's called City Lakes. If you guys know where Yum Restaurant is, mm-hmm. two doors down, not far from what was used to be known as Lake Calhoun. Is that in the godforsaken suburb of St. Louis Park or is that in Minneapolis? It's actually sitting like right on the line, yeah. literally on the line. The good side or the bad side though? The... Minneapolis side, so good side. Excellent. Outstanding. Um, how do folks find out more? <laughs> I just got you in trouble, right? Sorry, there's a history. Not at all. I know there's a history because you – well, yes. <laughs> That's why I chose Minneapolis because I knew there was a history. Uh, well done. Well done. Um, how do folks find uh, – uh, get in touch with you because seriously, you've dropped some gems of knowledge and it's just the tiniest scratch of what you can do for your clients. Thank you. Um, you know, if people to find me, can go to my website, Alex Boylan, B-O-Y-L-A-N.net. Uh, you can look at me up on Facebook, same name, or on Instagram, or on LinkedIn, or you can call me on 612-242-9318. I'm brutally honest, always available, so you can get a hold of me anytime. AlexBoylan.net. If you go to AlexBoylan.com, that's a porn site, right? No. Actually, the guy who won The Amazing Race was AlexBoylan.com. Really? Yes. And people see that. They look me up and go, oh, you won The Amazing Race. I'm like, wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how do we get porn out of that? <laughs> we don't. All right, good. All right, good. AlexBoylanXXX.com, I believe. <laughs> that might which, do it. Yeah. yeah. Through that. Different guy. Different guy. <laughs> yep. Different guy. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Again, education. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newkirk, what's going on with you? Uh, so we're opening up uh, a new property in the Theaterworth Parkway at the uh, Trailhead Building. Uh, the Lopit Foundation is kind of our go-ahead, and they're they're having the the Lopit World Championships. To somebody like myself that had no idea what that is, um, it's basically like the World Championships of cross-country skiing. Hmm. Which I had no idea, but it makes sense in a park system. Theodore Park is the largest park in uh, the Minneapolis park systems in Minneapolis proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it connects North Minneapolis to Golden Valley, essentially. Uh, it's humongous. And we'll have a, a walk-up takeout window. Um, it's basically going to be like a high-end concession stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have just a beer and wine license. Um, shout out to Surly Brewery because we're going to do some Surly uh, Love, definitely for sure, and that's kind of what that neighborhood really likes. Justify. So keeping it local. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be like a fast counter service version of Mill Valley Kitchen, labeled Mill Valley Markets. Love it. And we're still farming a table and everything we do. So that's going to be awesome. Exciting. By the way, did you overcome your duck shortage at Mill Valley? Excuse me? Your duck shortage. You used to have great – you had uh, a duck flatbread uh, on the uh, on the menu. You had a great duck lunch. We don't have any duck shortage. And we never have. Really? The thing is we've scaled back just due to uh, market desirability. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat from Wild Acre Farms is still a homie. Uh, he's still well tied into our ownership and our business plan. Uh, we we have duck on the menu at both places. And mm-hmm. when, when he comes in with his giant meat puppets, I shake his one finger because that's as big as my hands are. <laughs> and that, that man gets what he wants. So shout out to Pat from Wild Acre Farms. Killing it. 
<laughs> Excellent. All right. I misspoke. I apologize. Yeah. Just when you lost the the what was it? The bond me. Uh, whatever. You got you to gotta keep it fresh, man. Yeah. No, no, no. It's true. Keep it's true. moving. I thought you had a duck shortage. I was worried, but no. Ducks are our, our farm is located an hour and a half north of the, of the Twin Cities, and uh, it's it's plentiful. He also he also does uh, airline chickens, and his mother next door does pheasants, which is pretty cool. So, really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You ever had ostrich? Surprisingly, no. Really? I've had ostrich egg, mm-hmm. but never, never actually meat. It's very meaty. It's very, uh, it's very beefy. Huh. Surprisingly, so dark meat. I've it does not jerky. taste like chicken. Ostrich jerky. Have you? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. High in right. protein, low in fat, healthy. It's it's true. You can eat almost anything, which is a tragedy because you know what? If I were the Lord Almighty and I were creating the world from scratch, you know what the first thing I would have done was make rocks edible. Why do we have to eat ducks? Why do we have to eat ostriches? Poor little critters wandering around, and yet they are so dang tasty. Rocks? Edible rocks? Yeah, 100%. Well, my so, French bulldogs stop breaking their teeth then. <laughs> so things that come out of the ground and rise up to the top that are mineral-based, you want to eat that? I would make them edible. Well, I don't want to eat them, but I would make them edible. And I'm sure that in, in as a former Buddhist – Life and reincarnation, I am sure that I spent at least three three lifetimes trying to prove that rocks were edible. Well, it's an obvious sign that we are definitely different on our, our, our lines of great edibles. <laughs> I stopped. I stopped. But edibles have a different connotation for you and I, all right? Man. You were sucking the moss off the underside of a, of a mushroom-encrusted rock, and I was just swallowing that sucker. <laughs> Give me some more limestone, please. Uh-uh. Dude, Micah is the best. <laughs> Let's get back to some kind of real estate and design stuff. Alex, let me ask you this. Sure. Because um, I, I feel obligated because I, I own a furniture studio. Staging, how important is it? Extremely. Okay. What's your general thought on it? So if you have a home that's vacant, mm-hmm. spend the $2,000 on average, stage your house because staging does two things for a house. One, creates dimension. Defines a room, defines space, shows how big a room truly is, how your couch is going to fit, how your queen or king bed will look next with an end table and a dresser. It defines space. Mm-hmm. And more importantly is that it speaks to your emotions. When you walk into a home that's vacant, it feels vacant, lonely, and depressing. Mm-hmm. Walk into a home full of you know, couches and tables and lamps and textiles. It feels warm and inviting. feels like home. What do you think about pictures? Now, I'm not talking about art. I'm talking about photographs. People are always like, oh, we need to depersonalize the house to a point. If you have 50 family members on the wall going up the stairs, take them down. But <laughs> right? Especially if they're not an attractive family. Right. Especially. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't say it. Um, but if you have like you know family pictures here and there, it's fine. People are curious who lives here and – you know, people like families are cute. Agreed, like 100%, know who, who right? They're buying it from. So have some family photos up. Don't take them all down. There are two things I disagree with on the staging conventional wisdom scale. And because we don't do single family staging, and it's mm. totally different discussion, but just philosophically, one is the white walls and trying to homogenize everything. Yep. You want to have a certain level of character. Yeah. People want to have a certain – you don't want to be extreme. Nope. But you want to have a certain amount of character. And the second is the photos. Like Carl – uh, Peltier, who does uh, a lot of design and habitation. He's been mm-hmm. on the show before. We do a ton of apartment models. And one thing that people don't know is that the guy, 
he always puts in like a childhood picture of himself or his family <laughs> everywhere in the picture because he's a cute little kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not adorable, and you ha- you create that emotional connection. Exactly. I have a friend, uh, a married married couple. Yeah, they live in the North Loop, and whenever she likes a picture frame, she'll buy it. But she leaves the picture that comes with it in the frame. Seriously? She puts it up until she has a picture she wants for it because she wants, again, staging. She wants to see what it looks like on the wall yep. and then decide how she wants the picture to look representative of the family. Right. What picture they can put Yeah. Makes sense. And every I mean, time I go there, I'm like, we don't know them, do we? Like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's your cousin, four ninety nine. Pretty much. Yeah. What about house sizes? Everybody is talking about how the new generation of buyers – does not want the giant house they don't. that the old – is that the case? Seriously? Well, yeah, because it wants something more efficient because mm-hmm. <clears throat> the bigger the house, the more you have to pay in cleaning and heating and Everything cooling. across the board. More efficient, just efficient use of space. Think about your house that you guys live in right now. How many rooms do you not use? Well, I have a somewhat smaller house than you expect. I'm at like 20 – I'm 3,200 square feet. How many rooms do you don't use? One. I know uh, one. just one, just oh, one. Which we, which it's the guest room that we allow my daughter Sophia's bunny okay. rabbit to run around in. It's her bedroom. So most people live in two rooms in their house: their really? bedroom and their kind of kitchen family room area. Fair. And if they have a, like, if it's an older home, then it's bedroom, kitchen, and family room. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you have a squatty potty and it's a nice toilet paper, which is a homage to an earlier show. Oh God! Potty potty. I thought we broke that. I thought we broke the habit of the the pitching. Dan uh, Newkirk is actually a regional distributor for Squatty Potty here in the Upper Midwest. He's a huge fan. Make a purchase soon. Selling out. <laughs> um, but it is true. Bottom line is, it is true. Mm-hmm. The, the larger houses are less desirable. They are than the than than, it's than too smaller. much house. Mm-hmm. Well, especially with energy costs in, in this day and age, like. Mm-hmm. How, exactly. how can you justify a five hundred dollar uh, bill from you know Excel mm-hmm. and whoever whoever your distrib- whoever your person is? But it's a lot. If it's just being pissed Ac- away, and you're not using yeah. the space. It's waste. People have realized they don't want to pay for the space they aren't using. We want less waste. What about styles of houses? What is what's the hottest uh, the hottest general style? It's colonial. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I tell you, anytime a mid century modern home hits the market, I'm talking. Think Brady Bunch. Remember the house the Brady Bunch lived in? Mm-hmm. Think that from such a modern open staircases, vaulted ceilings. Those houses, they're packed full of people for a couple days and they sell for way over whatever asking price you want. Really? They're insane. People love them because they're just clean lines, triangular windows, like I said, open staircases, vaulted ceilings, open floor plans. And they're so way ahead of just design. Uh, a- a- I mean, amen. Isn't that kind of fall on the Frank Lloyd Wright? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows his name, so right. there you go. Right. And it also, and it also, psychologically is reassuring, right? It's back to the era that most people consider to be a golden age. Right. It turns out, right? Yeah. You know, so, and those houses were built. I mean, anything built in the fifties and sixties, they were built to last. Hmm. I mean, you can run a tornado right over them; they're going to still they'll still be standing. It's true. And one of the great things that the Lord God has done for us is he has crashed all the 70s houses, which turned out to be made out of paper and asbestos. You just brought the Lord Jesus Christ into this conversation. I did. You did. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. Right. I, I'm a Reformed Catholic. <laughs> reformed? Where's recovered, frankly. Oh, recovered. <laughs> Fully recovered. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, no, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's absolutely great. Is there, is there a dog in the market? Is there a problem in the market as far as a house style goes? Um, split entries. 
Yeah. Stay away. That is the worst move. Yeah. All right, my friends. We have drunk our way through another episode. On behalf of Habitation Furnishing and Design and Alex Boylan from Edina Realty, Dan Newkirk from Mercy et al., I'd like to wish everybody good luck this coming week. And our week's quote is from the ancient Roman Seneca. Money is the tool of the wise and the master of the fool. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>